Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, someone who's changed many people's life in a major way, including former guests of this show, including your host of this show. Today on the show, from the band H2O, from Hazing Street, from One Life, One Chance podcast, and a brand new children's book, Toby Morris is on the show. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and you will get the message to me. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Damien. The best way to support the show is by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that we have this show here. We also have a brand new merch store with t-shirts that you can find at turnedoutapunk.com. Uh, right now, the shipping is pretty expensive if you're not in the United States, so you know, feel free to sit back and relax if you're in Canada and in other places where... We're going to be working on some of their options, especially Canada. But check out turnedoutapunk.com to see those shirts. I, I designed them. I drew them myself. Well, my dad drew one too, but, you know, I, I drew the others. Well, it's the logo shirt. But anyway, you can find them over at turnedoutapunk.com. And thank you to everyone that has already headed over there and picked up a shirt. Also, you can support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash turned out of pumpkins. Thank you to everyone that does do that and keeps the show going and the lights on around this place because it would not be possible without you. And speaking about things not being possible without people, this poll podcast would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and have supported this podcast. And one person specifically has really championed this podcast at Vans, and that is my friend, the great Brooke Burt, who has believed in this show and championed this show and believed in what I'm trying to do here and supported what I'm trying to do here. And Brooke is now going to be leaving Vans after a while there. And thank you, Brooke. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, supporting this podcast and believing in this podcast. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what you do next. Uh, and uh, the speaking of doing things next, the band I play in Fucked Up has got a lot of stuff going on in the next year. Check out fuckedup.cc for more info on that. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, my buddy, Toby Morris. Now, Toby's someone I met Years ago, when I was just like, uh, you know, a little kid going to shows uh, as a massive fan of H2O. And over the years, I've gotten to see him play live, gotten to know him a little bit, then got to go on tour with him when Fucked Up and H2O did a festival run together. And yeah, just someone who has always been a really positive kind of present in not just my life, but a lot of people's lives in punk and hardcore, like... All you need to do, and we talk about this on the show, so at the risk of repeating myself and ourselves, I guess, ultimately with Toby, uh, go back and listen to the Chris Gethard episode and listen to how impactful Toby was in his life. And I know other people. There's there's other people from Toronto. And as I said off the top, myself included, you know, 
I was a little Punisher once, and not everyone you meet in a band is cool when you, you want to punish them about their band. You know, some people, yeah, they might be in a bad mood. They might be a bad person. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of mitigating factors, but never got that vibe from Toby. Um, in all of my interactions with him as a younger person, he was always very empathetic, very cool, and just, you know, just very supportive of young people in punk and hardcore. Uh, this is taking a long time to have happen and I'm really glad we got to finally do it. Once again, Toby does a wildly successful podcast called one life, one chance. You can check that thing out wherever you get your podcast. He also has a brand new kids book with the buddies at HE creative. They put together this, uh, Toby Morris children's book called one life, one chance, uh, pick it up. Josh Brolin, former member of RKL. Well, Proto RKL wrote the intro for this thing and it's available now. And yeah, so pick it up and uh, that's it. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. This is a fun conversation. I'm, I'm really happy you get to hear it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Toby Morris on Turned Out a Punk. Toby, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, man. I haven't seen you like. I've seen you online, but I haven't seen you like we're still online, but just talking to you has been a long time. I think it was like last Australia, right? That must have been it. Yeah. Yeah. What year, was that? what year was that? I think that's like six years ago now, seven years ago. I think I've got another kid since yeah. then. <laughs> wow. He was telling me now, like you have three boys. That's amazing, man. Congrats. It's amazing, it, man. It's nuts. It's nuts. But as I was showing you, you and me go way back, way, way further than that. I was just showing you illustrations and a list of bands that you did in my sketchbook that would have been about the year 2000 but i think the first wow. time i you was like two years even before that like 98 um but we got to get there but before we get anywhere we got to start this the way they all start off which is toby how'd you get into punk from the first time you ever came across the genre Whew. i got into punk to my brothers my older brothers who uh um you know, once my dad passed, my mom was working several jobs and my brothers were babysitting me a lot. Three boys, just like you have. And uh, they would sneak me out to see these shows, these local shows, because we live in Rhode Island. then, so I got to go see my first show was probably what it is was it was Vicious Circle, Verbal Assault, Proletariat, Idle Rich and Impact Unit, which is one of the handful of shows that Dickie Barrett's hardcore band played. Yeah. And I still have the flyer. And that was like the local scene. My first taste of punk and the energy and the crazy dancing and the haircuts. And I was already skateboarding and uh, listening to punk through like some of the skateboard skate rock tapes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But my brothers really brought it home with like circle jerks and sex pistols and all that. But yeah, it was a local show. That's probably my that was my first show in there. Uh, mid 80s, maybe 8045, whenever that could be. Don't quote me on that. But that was in Rhode Island, probably the living room or something, Providence. So that was my first taste of it. And then I was like, wow, these are local bands. They're amazing. I can skate to them. And that just kind of, I think my brother had like a, a track of Nevermind the Bullocks he brought home. What? Yeah. That's rare. Was... That's one of the most expensive A tracks there is. Wow. Yeah. We had A tracks, but yeah. Yeah. We had Blue Oyster <laughs> Cult. And I think we had, we had Nevermind the Bullocks. And even when I first heard, I was like, wow, this is fucking. This is too wild for me, but <laughs> I ended up loving it. And then from there, you go to the Clash, Ramones. You find all the other things after that. The things more I connected to the more melody, you know. 
what kind of stuff were they playing on the radio that time in kind of like Rhode Island? You're close to Boston, right? So I guess there's like all that kind of like early alternative Boston stuff happening. Yeah, would be Aerosmith too, right? Yeah, Aerosmith too. I guess definitely would have been popping off huge. Yeah, I don't know. Like we listened to like ACDC. My brother said like uh, Seven Inch or Back in Black, Blue Oyster Cult. I don't know, man. Uh, whatever they were playing, but yeah, I was just so young, and so I was just my mind was just starting to listen to other things that weren't on the radio, and they were bringing things home. And then once I went to the show, and then there was like demo tapes, and then I found out about the scene. It was in my it was a wrap after that. I mean, I was like skipping school, skating, going to the thrift shop, shopping with my friends at school. And John Jones became my best friend. His brother was Chris Jones, who sang in Verbal Assault. And he had a band called Positive Outlook. So that's where I got into the positive stuff through them. It was just the timing was perfect for me to live in Newport, Rhode Island, you know? Verbal Assault kind of were like positive too, right? Like the vibe yeah. on those records is, and also like a super underrated band underrated man like lyrically musically the guitar sounds pete kramiak was getting like and they were like our hometown heroes and they were like yeah incredible totally underrated the trial record the learn record yeah um on all their stuff and i was so happy um that they're gonna be coming back soon too it's awesome. and that dude wound up in belly yeah so they got like a you know a deep uh alternative rock connection too going on yeah and then chris jones i think don't quote me i think he became a tour manager for belly they took him on the road as well you know that's awesome yeah like they're they're one of the first bands i got into and i got learn when i was just you know buying used records type thing and finding out it was produced by ian mckay but yeah yes. it always amazed me they were never i guess because it, it never was properly reissued or or i don't know it just never seemed to kind of get the respect it deserved yeah and i think that now with the talk of them playing shows again i hope that like younger kids come out and check them out because they, they influence so many bands and they're still on my top like that trial record's still on my top top you know well, it was actually like you repping bands like that and Marginal Man when you guys did the Ooh. cover, you know, like these yeah. bands that are kind of like, you know, the, the the Minor Threat and Dag Nasty, there's certain bands that are taken up by everybody and like, you know, even yeah. Void's kind of on that list now. But then yeah. there's the other bands that kind of fall through the cracks. And so, you know, having someone like yourself championing these bands, like that's part of the reason I went looking for this stuff. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. Marginal Man, Identity and Double Image. I remember seeing them play many times in D.C. Uh, incredible band. Uh, Kenny Away, still a good friend of mine. Yeah, those are some of the bands that weren't talked about the most, but they were, had a great impact. Also, like, obviously, you know, King Face and Scream and mm -hmm. um, Dag Nasty, of course. But Rice is for all those. But I got to see Embrace when once I moved to D. We'll, go to, we'll get to that later. But yeah, man, like, so I was in the right path. I was born in Massachusetts. And I got to Rhode Island. My mom got a job out there. And that's when I really, my brother started surfing. And we got into the skate community. And that's where I really connected to punk at a really young age. I was middle school. I find like East Coast surfing super fascinating too, because it's like it's not nearly as celebrated in pop culture, but it's like such a huge part of people that live on the coast lot. Yeah, it's weird because I, I never surfed. You know, my brother, my my son is a massive surfer, and all he keeps talking about wanting to go to East Coast and surf in Asbury Park or like <laughs> Long Island. It's like I lived out there. I never surfed. I was just I didn't even thought about surfing on the East yeah. Coast. You're so right. But then there's these heart, there's these storms out there. My son checks the weather around the whole country. Everybody's obsessed with surfing. So now he's like, we do in New York, man. I want to surf on Asbury Park. I'm like, Asbury Park, man. I played so many shows out there. I didn't even went, I didn't even touch this, that sand, you know? Like, I don't know. Asbury Park surf rock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, there, there's like a North Carolina surf rock scene, too. Really? Yeah. Like back, going back to the 60s. Wow. Yeah. I don't know, man. So, yeah. So surfing and skating is already kind of, came into me you know what i mean and i loved 
the aggressiveness of punk to skate to it, but I didn't really connect to the lyrics of um, some of the stuff that was like anarchy and fuck your parents because I love my mom. She was raising us wonderfully. And I didn't know what anarchy was or bollocks was, but I love the way it sounded. And then I, then I get into like other stuff, Dag Nasty, seven seconds with the lyrics and everything. It was like, holy shit, this is like a guidance counselor for me, you know? Yeah. Like, who were some of the bands that were coming through? Like you mentioned seven seconds and seven I seconds. Seven. And I just talked about this with Milo is that the first out of town band I ever saw play was Descendants on uh, I Don't Want to Grow Up record, one of the first records, right? Yeah, and I talked about that Milo recently. That was the first time I seen an out-of-town band play. And then Milo was on stage, then he was at the merch booth, and I was saying, what's up? it was surreal, bro. And that, I think that's what's so special about this music is that we're all equal. On stage, you're off. Everybody's together, and it's a community. It's it's something so magical, and I never just – I just lo I love that. I was connected to that from the jump. Having no father figures and then seeing these bands, you could talk to them, read their lyrics, sing along with them, and then say, great show. I don't know, man. It's just something special, you know? Well, it's funny because, like, you carry that through, you know? And, like, the best story – I think one of the most touching stories that's ever been told on this podcast was Chris Gethard's story about being at the H2O album release party for the first record and him just having the worst – day of his life you know being 14 and just feeling like shit and out of nowhere you coming up to him and just being like hey man and just talking to him and checking in with him and he says like he he and i were both tearing up as he's telling me that story the first wow. time and it, it changed his life like he's like that he saved my life that day wow yeah he's told me this I've heard the story before that I reached out and we've talked since then and we follow each other. I'm hoping to meet him in real life someday again soon. And yeah, man, I actually do remember that day once he, once I heard this. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I don't know what to say. You're making me emotional thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It's like, I don't know. Just that's how I am. I guess. I don't know. I just, I did. I remember seeing him there and I remember that. Yeah. I just, cause I was a kid too going to shows and I didn't really have, I was with my brothers and I was kind of not let loose in the streets. My mom was looking over us, but my brother's, were watching me babysitting but i was still out skating hanging out with friends and hanging out with older kids kind of peers and stuff so finding my place in this world and yeah man that's that's awesome man well it also it's like it comes up a time and time again is how much of this scene is people dealing with trauma and yeah. showing up in the scene and either inflicting trauma on other people but it's rare that someone sees that trauma in someone else and and reaches out and kind of you know that's when this is the best thing it is right when someone can yeah help someone else and make someone else's life better through this music somehow 100 because it did that for me it, it literally i can't tell if it saved my life because i don't know what kind of path i was going to be on but by not having that 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 kind of home structure and my brother's kind of drinking and kind of walling out and then i hear minor threat and i'm like oh my god i'm 13 years old and i never tried anything and now this guy i can skate to these dudes and they're aggressive and they're telling me i don't have to do what they're doing to fit in okay sign me up and that was it for me man like at 13 i was like i'm never trying anything i fucking love this music and this band is so fucking awesome and i don't know just that kind of shit i guess it did save my life in a sense put me on a really good path you know mm -hmm. well, it's like, powerful because those are just personal songs that people wrote and the impact who knows when they put this on what, what effect it's going to have on people but they get us and we're all coming from different homes different lives and you just you hear something or connect to something and it just I don't know, man. It's that moment, you know? Yeah. Well, like these, these songs that they wrote at 17, 18 yeah. and years later, they're still having impacts on kids. You know, there's something yeah. universal, I guess, about it. Yeah. And this record still sounds so good, man. Killer, killer. Like <laughs> how do teenagers make such good music? It's crazy. No, man. It's just <laughs> the test of time for those and the generations of people that they've inspired and people still finding out about them now. It's just, it's awesome. 
Was it like kind of more of a party scene or were there, were there a lot of straight edge kids when you were kind of growing up in Rhode Island? Mm, yeah. I mean, the kids I hung out with, we, there was the ones I met like John Jones, positive outlook. And I think the, and I don't want to go, go on record saying, I think some of the verbal saw guys obviously were, yeah, some of the peers I was hanging out with, but then there was like, my brother was like a total drinker, surf punk, like hanging down at, at this wall. I forgot the wall was called downtown. So then it was like, yeah, it was a mix. You know, my brothers would take me to keg parties um i'll be like the little kid at the keg party and like just hanging out there like i don't know, drinking soda or whatever so i was around it for sure and then yeah i met some other people that you know were in the were straight edge as well and we skated and skate straight team we had or something and i don't know yeah so i found some people that you know that didn't want to we would go hang out with people but but i was never ever like yo fuck that person he's drinking for me it was just I was never like that. I just hung out with everybody, dude. I've always been like that, man. Didn't care if my brothers were smoking weed in the basement. I didn't care, you know, like, I don't know. But it wasn't for me. I was just like, I know this is not for me. I was always hyperactive like I am now. I was always like super high on life. And then skateboarding was just like a drug for me. Like it was my natural high, you know? So, because mm -hmm. you guys are kind of getting, you're getting into it at like an interesting time, right? Like 84, 85 is kind of brought up by a lot of guys as being their getting off point. Like when, a lot of the first wave of people started changing what they were into their band yeah. started, you know, getting into indie rock and stuff like that. But like, it seems like there's also like a wave of you guys that would wind up being the next scene, but you're all mm -hmm. kind of getting into it around the same time. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Then we then I moved from Rhode Island to Maryland, Southern Maryland in the eighties. Cause my mom got a job uh, as a manager of apartment complex and Rusty Pistachio was the was the maintenance man who had like a mullet he knew nothing about anything about skateboarding he was just he was just there as our maintenance man and then we move into town like with our op shorts and like checkered pants and converse that were shocking my orange converse and then we have hobie skateboards and we go there there's no skaters in this town we totally don't want to move them my brother trace is like yo i'm 18 i ain't even going there so it was just me and my brother todd went and then yeah we meet rusty pistachio man like Two weeks later, he shaves his mullet into a mohawk. He has a Fiat. He cuts the roof off his Fiat. We got skate death and anarchy on the side of his car. We're driving through town. <laughs> rednecks, rednecks are calling us names. We were like the total outcast in this small town in Southern Maryland. And then going to high school, getting totally picked on. Like it was, it, it was a crazy time. But then meeting all these, meeting these kids and other kids, then start going to shows in DC, which is like an hour or so. Away. Rusty would drive us to DC, so we got to go to all these first for Gazi shows you saw embrace and right to spring me and rusty just going to these shows as a teenager with rusty and my brother meeting other people in the area and having like this old group of friends that would go to dc like these i remember the, uh just uh these shows at these churches and just seeing snfu in baltimore this place called the loft like i don't know just all these cool experiences once we got to maryland it, we were so we were so bummed at being in maryland but we made the best of it like we had a quarter pipe and then we started going to shows in DC and then being part of that wave before I moved to New York. So I got like the verbal saw, I got that. And then I got to be in the DC scene, which was amazing at that time with all these bands playing scream, marginal man, dag nasty, you know, um, the summer of love embrace all that. It was just, it was magical. So you, it was so different too. Cause the, you know, there's a lot of activism involved and more political stuff learning about. Obviously I love the dead Kennedys. That was like the first time I even, heard about i don't know governor jerry brown who the hell was that like but they were singing about so many things political like i was into politics but then you go to dc and there's like these marches and all this amazing 
beautiful things happening, these free shows in the park. Yeah, it was just opened my mind even more. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's why I I was so excited to talk to you because like, I think even outside of obviously H2O and everything H2O does, like just your experiences as like a fan of this music, like you're in, you know, this, this early sort of hardcore transitional scene, but then you're in DC at the height of like revolution, like that, that culmination of that stuff. And then you go to New York for the height of NY8 capital NYHC, (laughs) right? Like two more diametrically opposed scenes. I can't think of. Yeah, it's pretty true. Yeah. And that was, I mean, after DC and like, I remember I like, I remember, um, I remember seven seconds. I love New End. I loved all those. Kevin Seconds. Oh my God. He grew his hair out. Then I saw he thanked you two on his record. I started listening to you two. Oh my God. I never fucked with this radio band. Oh my God. These guys like him. I love him. Then I was getting real, like not hippie, but I was just like, I grew out dreads. I was like total, like want to be, <laughs> want to be, want to be Alva skater, Dogtown guy. Um, I was just a skateboarding punk, whatever. I got into all this stuff. And then I went to New York because I became pen pals with, with Timmy Chunks. I saw them at the Marble Bar in 1987. It was Token Entry and Rollins. And I, I love Token Entry for some reason. I love them because they were skaters. They were a skate band from New York. And there wasn't a lot of bands. Underdog skated. But Token Entry, I really connected to. And then me and Timmy Chunks became pen pals, like literally writing each other letters. And then I was like, when I'm 18, I'm moving to New York. I love this scene. I get to be a part of this scene next. And I literally got dropped off at CBGB's at a token entry show with all my luggage. Said goodbye to my first love on a winding road at her house. It was like like a movie. Just left everything and moved to New York, man. And I just like, I'm going to be involved in music. I'm doing something in music. And I got dropped off at CBGB's. It was so scary. Everybody shaved down. It's just like 1988. I was like, holy shit, I've been in New York since I was a little kid with my uncle, like, all, like seeing the Empire State Building. Like, this is fucking, cr-. it was so different, wor- two different worlds, dude. Yeah. Like, but I like, I loved it. Like going to CBS, the smell, just like, I don't know what it was, man. But I didn't feel safe for sure. And then soon, sooner than later, because I had met sick of it all before, like they kind of all took me under the wing. Everybody kind of really embraced me and took me under the wing. Um, and I did feel safe at that point, but I was couch surfing working at Roadrunner Records, Concrete Marketing with Lou and Pete, living at the Sick of it All's house, living in Arthur Smelios' bedroom. Then I finally graduated into the Gorilla Biscuit house. It was me, Walter, Siv, and Alan Cage in Jackson Heights next to Burger King, which we called Murder King. And I lived <laughs> in Alan Cage's closet. I, I paid a hundred bucks. I lived in his fucking closet. And yeah, they called me Closet Master. And then, <laughs> then they got me a job working at a recording studio, a rehearsal studio for Youth at St. Gorilla Biscuits. And bad trip, Marco's bad trip. I worked there and I felt I, I like organized all the bands. I was just a rehearsal setup guy. I worked there and got to sing backups on the start today. Like all that shit, like chain of strength would stay at our apartment, just all this other parts of hardcore, like this really youth crew and just and then it was just so much stuff and like a tougher. I was never a tough guy, but then you're surrounded by all kinds of people that grew up, they came from different lives, but they had your back. It was like this tough ball breaking love where they made fun of you, but they loved you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and only they can make fun of you because you're their boy and like nobody else can fuck with you, but we can call you the hick from Maryland. They call me the hick from Maryland. I wasn't even from Maryland, but <laughs> that's where I came from. So like, it was all this like tough love I never got. It was like the dad shit I never had. Like it was just this New York shit. Like, like, I don't know, like, not like don't cry, but it's just like, and it wasn't like, I'm a, I'm a sensitive person. I've always been a sensitive person. So 
maybe if I was wearing a tie-dye seven seconds, you're like, what is that? Sh-? You know what I mean? Like, I'm this yeah. what I this is me, this is what I love. I came from here, but like, but it was all love, man. And that that totally molded me, like from because I moved out at 18. That was it, just go to New York and just started like roading for bands. And I don't know, just being in New York at the time, like you said like the new killing time came out just all this energy and seeing all these bands come and being at cbgb's every sunday and like really going vegetarian like krs1 came up my philosophy then we had start today um cats and dogs and that was the same time i was just loving hip-hop and then stopped eating meat and then stopped wearing animals and then i wore my beads and i you know just like this like my first tattoo is this meat is murder tattoo and it's like it's gorilla biscuits do wearing army pants with a pair of bands like and i told walter that it then walter coming home and walter playing sugar cubes and be and uh and uh meet his murder the smiths in his bedroom like what is this this ain't punk but walter schreifel's totally opening my mind to like more shit you know it's just i was absorbing all this shit around me dude like with such an open mind and those guys really opened my mind with everything man just i'm very lucky man i'm very lucky to have been there for all that you know well, that's the thing. It's like you're at all these places like that. Like start today. Like th- that record is one of the top five influential records in this thing, right? Like Agreed. agreed. But when you're in it and you're living with them, and then you sing, oh yeah, because I sang on a couple records back then, back up. So it's comes to we do gang vocals, whatever. And then you're on it, and then like it comes out, and you're like, holy shit! And then even like now, even listening to it to think about the impact that records had. Um, I, I can't believe I was even there. Like it's like holy shit, I got to be on that. It's like it's a masterpiece to me you know were there any bands like i guess token entry would have been that would have been like playing in that dc kind of area that you were and that and just that sort of like that scene that would have also gone over in new york like other than token entry that came to dc and played you mean yeah like that would have gotten in yeah, like GB, well yeah once they moved to new york then i started going back with gb to dc seeing all my old friends they played the safari club and stuff yeah sick of it all come gorilla biscuits uh wars i seen warzone in dc before uh yeah so yeah but uh, but there was something with the token entry that first record and there were skaters and i was just like just intrigued by it because i was a skater i didn't think of anybody skating in new york really in the scene mm-hmm. uh that was more cali thing that we were talking about surfing um yeah but then i started coming back they were sick of it all on the weekends or killing time or just these friends would take me on the road i was a terrible roadie but i guess i was just fun to hang out with dance and do silly things and uh yeah and that and that's what really got me inspired to start my own band then working at rover under records and packaging up pack black train jack records or sepultura and all that and just working behind the scenes so it feels like also new york at that time like people that have come on it, it starts changing at a certain point yeah too, right like you have the the rise of sort of the abc you no know, rio scene and then you have more of like a sort of a uh i guess pyramid club and and like a yeah. different kind of scene that was kind of popping up there too. Yeah, there's different things going on there for sure. Yeah, there's different sections of it, I guess, too. And it did have like a little, it was almost like where it became like just straight edge shows and just hard. It kind of got separated with that too. But I always loved going to Murphy's Law shows, getting beer thrown on me. I love Murphy's Law. I think Jimmy's one of the greatest frontmen of all time. And being at those shows too, like I went to all the shows. I was never, for me, like personally, I was never like, I only hang out with straight, you know what I mean? I was hanging with everybody, like, obviously. But, yeah, so it seemed to kind of divide in that sense. There were just certain shows that were that kind. But there was always, like, such good bills at CBs, too. Like, um, and the different bands would come through. Seven well, seconds play CBs, and, yeah. And, and you guys, eventually, it feels like, you know, once again, as an outsider and someone getting into it, that are the band that kind of bridges 
the scenes again. Like eventually New York just gets so hard that it almost is, is like a thing unto itself. And then yeah. H2O is the band that almost can bridge it back to sort of like a, the punk world. Like it feels like Sick of It All as well, I guess would have also been doing that too, but it feels like yeah, your bands were bringing people into it. Like it really was like the band that was like, hey, check out this world. Well, yeah, Sick of It All for sure first, first because I remember touring with them and they're like, we're going to go on tour with separate tour and Sacred Reich and Napalm Death. And we did the new Titans tour in 91. And they were like the first, I think, New York hardcore band. I could be wrong and quote me. They really went on like a metal tour and they were like the only hardcore band. And that they they like went over so many different people that maybe never would have heard of New York hardcore. But I got to witness that too. And that was such an interesting tour because nobody really knew them, you know, but they killed, they went hard every night and they won the crowd over. And that was pretty amazing. But yeah, like I think for H2O, because of the people I hung out with, because maybe how I looked or who I, who, who we hung with, um, kind of forgetting that I did come from other parts of the East Coast that have melodic bands. I think they expected us to sound more like harder. And we're not, none of us are born in New York. My band was, my band was born there, but none of us are from the streets. None of us grew up the way a lot of our friends did there. And we loved melody. So I think when we dropped our first seven inch with I Know Why and Temperature, like those melodic songs, we're like, holy shit, Dude, singing or trying to sing like i kind of kind of bug people out because i know what they're there to expect you know but then it's almost like at a certain point a lot more bands in new york start doing that too like it must have been shocking at first but eventually you know you guys end up influencing a lot of well or just you know a lot of melody starts coming back to new york hardcore it feels like in the wake of h2o yeah i mean i, I didn't yeah that'd be, I, yeah i don't i didn't really notice that but yeah maybe you're right i don't know That'd be awesome. But I, I I just know our melodies weren't original. Obviously, we love Descendants and we love Dag Nasty and Seven Seconds and these other bands that and, it, and we weren't necessarily inspired by the just New York bands. Obviously, we love Token Entry and Gorilla Biscuits and Youth of Today, uh, Murphy's Law, Killing Time, uh, Agnostic Front, Sick Mad Ball, like Chromags. But none of us were like everybody has their own come from different places. That's why I love the New York scene, because everybody had a different sound. I mean, sick mm -hmm. of, I mean, Gorilla Biscuits had a lot of pop sensibility to start today. Like, just so many melodies on that record, you know? And like, so yeah, I guess we just weren't, we're going to come out, we're going to sing. This is what we do. Like, I had the one screaming song that never became a real song, but like, yeah, I just tried to sing and I never, I never was a singer, but I don't know. It just, and it just, I guess it just worked for us. People were like, holy shit. And so, yeah, when we first came out, people kind of didn't know what to expect or how to digest it, but it was great i mean once we came and dropped the first record which is behind me um yeah just that was such a fun experience like living there and having the band there and actually growing i guess i kind of grew up there because i moved there at 18 and you know i lived on my own and came into my own in new york so yeah it's a big part of our lives you know when you first moved to maryland was rusty wasn't doing images yet right no so that was pre-images yeah, then he started being Roadside Pets, my brother Todd. Yeah, for Roadside sure. Roadside Pets. Yeah, I have to get you some, some music. It's really good. I want to hear that. I love Images. Okay, he'll be psyched you said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Images, yeah, that was after. Rusty was like listening to like Rush and Led Zeppelin and all that stuff. And like, yeah. he heard of punk, but like, we really like. You punked him. Yeah, we really did. I mean, he lost a job because like he stole, the, <laughs> he, he stole this plywood from the, uh, the wood, the tool shed. He made us a quarter pipe. <laughs> he, got, he got fired for that. I'm sorry, Rusty. And then, like, he started playing music, and yeah, the rest of his history. Like, he he never, he never played guitar. I was like, dude, I'm starting this band. You should come up and be in my band. And crazy man. Yeah, he's like my dad, dude. He's like my dad. Yeah. 
I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, good. Uh, I love that DSI records label that they were on. Yeah, DSI. It's awesome. There's so many cool, weird little bands on there. What was the other band that were kind of emo? Um, uh, MFD, Malphis, Malphis, uh, United Mutation, uh, MFD, uh, Thorns. Give me the one on there. was another band Rusty played with. Was that like Crab Core? They called it Crab Core or something back then. It was in Maryland. <laughs> really? Something like that. I don't know. Don't I don't know. That's another, awesome. Oh, Moss Moss Icon. Oh, Moss really? Icon's amazing. Yeah. That's the band Rusty always played with. I forgot. I think they were from out there, right? Moss Icon. They were. Yeah, they were on Verma okay. Scum Records. And, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, came out of Hated. Someone from okay. Hated was in that too. Okay. Uh, that yeah, Moss like, Icon. That's awesome. Oh, also on DSI Records, Death Piggy, the pre-Guar band. Wow. So it's, it's it's like amazing how all these places that people go from this thing, you know, like, and, yeah. and when you look, think about some of these rooms and some of these bills, like how many people went on to wind up in, you know, weird places in pop culture from there. Yeah, Image played a lot, Image just played a lot of band, a lot of shows with Fugazi, Scream. They played shows with Ramones, with my brother's been Outcrowd. Yeah, Outcrowd's sick too. <laughs> really yeah i love rock crowd that's awesome and, and i was actually researching out crowd today um and the one dude from that band ends up doing all the design work for bonnie prince billy and palace music really yeah is it gene booth i think yeah gene booth yeah holy are you serious yeah like i was looking at his credits he did and he did the last matt sweeney uh bonnie prince billy record that just came out like a couple weeks ago or months I had no ago idea. Man. that's crazy man shout out to gene booth yeah, oh, I know it's like one of these weird things where you're like, wow, we're all connected in this scene. We really are. We really are. It's it's interesting. Even as we get older, too, obviously. But so I, I was I, it's come up a lot. And that's why I've always wanted to get your take on it. What about the there's a moment in New York where people talk about where violence at shows became too much. And for some people and that. Yeah, it definitely got scary. I was at a show where somebody had a gun. I was hiding behind Anthony Killing Time. Yeah, it was super scary. And then it's interesting because around that time, H2O started playing a lot. And then we started going on tour. So like when Mighty Boston took us on tour, maybe 96, like we were gone, man. So we kind of we we kind of weren't playing locally for a while. We we were doing tours with Murphy's Law. They took us out and then then Mighty Boston's and then started doing the warp tours. So mm -hmm. we we were really focused on touring and really like wanting to play shows and really do this. So I think that time too, shows stopped for a while. They, they banned shows at CBGB's and then started doing shows at Continental and then Coney Island opened up on St. Mark's. Great venue, great shows. They had Under Acme, it was another small club. Um, the Limelight obviously kind of big, but yeah, that, 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 that was super scary in the scene. And um, yeah, cause you're supposed to go to shows to escape anything happening. People escaping from their shitty home life, your jobs, regular life. You go there to escape that kind of stuff and be safe at shows and sing along to these songs that fucking are saving your lives at that moment. You're not supposed to be there to be scared and have to watch your back. So yeah, it did get pretty nuts out there for sure. But we were like, we were just, as soon as we like put the demo out, did the seven inch with equal vision and then signed a blackout, we just fucking going on tours. Dickie Barrett came to see us at a wetland show. I never met the dude in my life. And then Monday morning, our booking agent, Stormy Shepard, shout you out, Stormy, got a message saying, oh, Dickie was at your show this week. He really liked you guys. You want to go on tour with the Boston's? We're like, <laughs> fuck yeah. They took us on tour. 
taught us the road. They taught us everything, man. And then continue to take us on tour. Even when Let's Face It blew up, there was still the same fucking dudes, so humble. And I just loved that band. Like they really changed. They really taught us the ways of touring and being a professional band, being there on time, doing a sound check, being respectful. And like they looked out for us. And so, yeah, we were just. Yeah, we, 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 we played in New York, but when we came back, we played those venues were gone. So when we came back, we probably played Coney Island, we played Coney Island High a bunch on my birthday parties there. And then, yeah, and we and, be, and like seeing Sick of It All take that chance to open up with those metal bands in the 90s. I always saw that as something really cool and like not always playing to preaching to the converted. So when we had opportunities to play with newfound glory or different bands or boxcar racer or any of these bands we're like, fuck yeah, we would do it. Cause it was a challenge to like win a crowd over, never heard of you. Like I, I we love that. Just like, just like meeting new people and playing new audiences. Like, especially if you kept playing the same venues and the same to the same crowd always. So like, yeah, that was something we really proud of ourselves on is like, doing that obviously it's not an epitaph was a, a big deal too but um it, sorry you okay, yeah i was gonna say like the that negative energy it's always interesting when these and obviously not to undercut the severity of stuff that happens in the wake of this sort of violence but it's always interesting how that seems to spur on new scenes like you look at what happened yeah. in california you look what happened in dc famously like yeah. it feels like you you almost need you know people to have that reason to kind of push off and create something new in their wake yeah i think a lot of people like yeah i mean not to not to speak from but i've heard walter talk about before like during that he went off and started doing quicksand mm -hmm. like you know they try people trying to do different things and other influences in their life and you know and not that they ever grew out of hardcore or hate it but it got it got crazy for people people weren't down with the violence so they were like you know it kind of yep. made people want to do other things um but yeah, so yeah, and positive things like you said, like branch off and do other things, or just go on tour, really take your band seriously. Or, but then somehow I don't know what happened. And then it kind of just came back. Then there's a resurgence, and then you have like four punch and in my eyes, and all these bands coming playing, um, ten yard fight, and this whole amazing like youth crew resurgence. I forgot what year that was, and all these bands coming. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. ninety seven, ninety eight. That shift in Orange Nine and Quicksands. Yeah. And VOD and all this Fahrenheit 451 and shutdown and like all this new energy, man. It's, I don't know. It's it, pretty it, amazing. And it also kind of, I guess, coincides with the rise of the Warp Tour. And like, I think yes, you were the band that I think would always, every time I would, well, the first time I saw you guys on the Warp Tour was that first year I think you did it for the whole thing or whatever. I saw you, I guess, three different shows. And every time you guys would just steal the show that day like you know you. all the syracuse sluggers coming out and moshing like oh, yeah. in Buffalo, yeah. or in london yeah. ontario i saw you and i forget somewhere else too but it was just like you know it was that like you're saying going out there and winning over that crowd like that being the bad yeah. yeah thank you man yeah i mean the warp tours were a challenge that was grueling like we we, we you start off in a van you start off in a broken winnebago you start off <laughs> we had so many times doing that so it's a brutal i mean people think it's just every day you wake up, you know what time you're playing. But then when you get to play, you're, just, you're so like anxiety ridden from the, the night before. If not sleeping, you go on stage. It's just, yeah, you don't know who's watching. You don't know who cares. It's a new audience. And you can be playing against the biggest band with the biggest song on the radio at that moment. And you're on the, you're on the flatbed truck. You don't know what to expect. So, yeah, I'm very lucky. We had some great shows out there. We had some rough ones. We had some great ones. Um, I remember our bus breaking down and I went on the Rancy bus. 
My brother went on No Effects, somebody went on Pennywise, somebody's with Kevin Lyman, somebody's with the specials. We like all split up in that tour and our shit was broken down. Like, yeah, it's, but I, 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 I you know, people, some people talk trash on that tour, but I have nothing but positive stuff to say. I've met so many cool people on that tour. Um, met so many, made so many friends. We, we, we like, so many people had heard about us from the Warp Tour compilation cassettes or fucking DVDs, whatever. Like there was these things, these, I don't know. It was just, it was really good for us. We're very lucky. And then after that, obviously sick, but always killing it on there. So many bands were doing it. Bouncing Souls always were great. Um, we shared a bus with seven seconds on that tour. That was awesome. But yeah, it's definitely long days. My wife's selling merch on those freaking merch tents. It's like merch hell. Um, yeah, it, it was great. But a lot of people I'm still friends with today is relationships that I made from that tour or bands like you might not know, like, oh, I'm friends with Sum 41 because of that tour. Bands that I never really knew, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 was, uh, it was definitely a, a great tour to do. Grueling. But we definitely love doing it, you know. That warp tour '99, which I think is the one, Eminem, Seven Seconds, Eminem, Blink One Eighty Two, Blink One Eighty Two, uh, Scarhead, which yes. is <laughs> amazing. Ice T. Uh, yes, that was a gnarly one. <laughs> that's I, I like that comes up on the show as probably the greatest assemblage of bands ever put. Like just, it's like someone just picked a bunch of names out of a hat and yeah. throw them down on a board like it just but it was it was awesome to get to go and see yeah that was crazy that's right eminem was getting booed during hi my name is yeah then he, like, then he'd go off and do like a radio show the night come back like he was chilling yeah like, like ips were there too ips dude preferred will i am yeah that's right <laughs> will i am told me straight up on, on the pod here that that was the best story he's ever done it like it was a hard tour, but they win the crowd. The same thing, getting yeah. bottles thrown at them every night. Like you say, you make it through the war between making it through any tour. Yeah, and it's interesting. A lot of those bands, I got to give props to a lot of those bands because a lot of those bands, they'll sign a contract that says, oh, you make this much on the Warp Tour next year. Sign the contract. By that next summer, they're massive on MTV and the radio. And those same bands will still do the Warp Tour for that same money and still kill it every night. They have like 20,000 people at a fucking flatbed against the main stage and they're on the radio. <laughs> I saw so many bands do that, man. Just like they, they were just psyched to be there, man. And a lot of those bands, like they blow up after the warp, they're like, Psh, they blow up. Every band, yeah. Limp Biscuit, blow up. Sum 41, blow up. Uh, 311. There's so many bands who were on that tour that after that, Katy Perry was on the warp tour, yeah. dude. Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray. <laughs> yeah. It's, Mark's it's the best. Um, yeah. It it's fucking crazy when you look at that as you know, like like what it was at a time when there was like a pre-internet way of dispersing your music to as many people as possible and active music goers, right? Because you'd be hitting thirty thousand kids in each city that are the kids that are going to shows that are probably the kids that are going to try and turn all their friends onto the bands they got into. So yeah, yeah. Like it, by the end of it, it changed. But in the very beginning, like that was a way that like, you know, like yourselves, like Black Eyed Peas, if you went out there and worked, you could win over those crowds and, and you could take that show that day. Yeah, dude, fucking Deftones, killing it yeah. on there, man. I remember seeing them, watching them like, wow. Like just so many bands that I saw, I, might, I may have never saw because of that. I remember one day the singer 311 had H2O thick in the water tanked up on I was like, oh my God. What's going on? This is crazy. And then, like, then you're like eating at the lunch with these dudes. Like everybody's playing, everybody's just hanging out, walking around backstage, and like it's all everybody's equal. That's that's what I love about Kevin Lyman. He's like, I don't give a fuck what label you're on, if you have a hit single or not. This is equal. 
you you play when we say you play. You could be bands who play at eleven in the morning, ten or eleven to twelve. Like it didn't matter who you were. And yeah. I love that he. Everybody was equal. That's what I loved about that. And everybody was humble, and some were not, and they got checked. But and it's, you know what I'm saying. But like, it was just like everybody's out there together, man. You know. Well, because there were people that could check you on those tours. Like there was For like, sure. you For know, sure. like there's, you know, there's the Fletchers. <laughs> there's the Fletchers. Yeah. <laughs> no there definitely was but like but those people were like yeah you know what you're right this is what i signed up for this is it like kevin you know before you go on the tour this is how it's going to be yeah it's interesting to kind of think about that period of this music and like how you know obviously it was worldwide it was global before but like that tour is going to places that you know people like black flag might have been going to doa was going to but by the time this thing was an established circuit bands weren't really going to some of these places but the warp tour would still go there that's a really good point. So like some, yeah, interest. Some parts of like the Midwest, different places. Mm-hmm. You're right, man. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And then crowds would come out. You're right. Yeah. Like it's interesting. Just I think the name Warp Tour became so every summer we're gonna go to the Warp Tour this summer. We don't care who's on it. Just like almost the kids were like, I'm gonna buy every Fat Records release because I'm supporting this label. I love all their music. Same with Epitaph. You're mm-hmm. on Epitaph. Okay, you're on this Epitaph. These sampler tapes, awesome. And those kids are like. The diehards and they support and so like the warp so like yeah we're gonna go see a bunch of bands this summer it's, it was cool man it was just it's almost vibe. yeah like the way people got loyal to labels like you bring up there it's almost evangelical like it's almost like a religious you know like you 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 worship this label so you bought all the religious texts they would put out on that label and that was your <laughs> adherence to that like i'm a lookout devotee versus i'm an yeah. epitaph devotee yeah so the fat records comps epitaph, yeah. like but those people got this for free, handed out thousands of those on the Warp Tour, man. So many to this day, people say, "Oh, I heard your song, Guilty by Association," on on the Warp Tour comp. I'm like, "Oh, sick! Oh, that's how I found out about your band." I'm like, "Wow!" Because you don't mm-hmm. think those things work. People throwing like frisbees, just, you find them on the ground. Like it's it's pretty awesome. They, they were smart about that. Oh, and like Tony Hawk soundtracks. Like how many people yes. come on here and talk about how important that stuff is, right? Like, yeah, we were on one called Street Skater. I'm not sure if that was everybody was on or something. That was something else. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. Those and those things and those things work, you know, like those things are like for people that don't necessarily have access to like a verbal assault as like a local band, <laughs> like this is where you hear it, right? You might hear it just on a comp and stuff like that. Like it, I had such like an adversarial uh, position towards, you know, tooth and nail records when I was a kid, because I'm like, oh, they're just trying to convert kids. They're just trying to convert kids. But mm. now it's like, no, they were like they were like a, a an outpost for kids like kids that were looking for stuff like this was like they're on ramp like it's yeah it's completely different from a, a different perspective like this thing was hugely important as an access point for kids yeah and also just getting like free product with music on it. you just put it in your car and it's listen to it. you leave the warp to listen to the song oh, i just saw this band today or yeah man all that's that's like that's a real almost like diy street team I don't know, man. It just worked. And I, I know it works because people tell me all the time. And so, yeah, I just feel like as much as people said that tour was in punk, it did so much with so many bands, you know, well, like. Yeah. Well, you think about straight edge and it's like, if you think about straight edge as being a movement and the idea is to spread the movement as far as it goes, like, is that movement more effectively helped out by Ian Mackay or by CM Punk or, you know, like who's hitting more people at this point with the message? Like, that's very interesting and that's a whole different that's like what 30 years later he comes out like and that a whole different audience that that that's this but like there's so many kids now that know about straight edge that will never hear a minor threat song 
you know. But maybe those kids found out about it and then they went online. Where's this coming from? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that could happen. Definitely. But but I've met kids. I know what you're saying, though. Yeah. Like, it's interesting how how much bigger this thing is than we sometimes take it for granted. Like, you know, just the rage once it starts really spreading out like that. Yeah, the CM Punk, man, he really put into the it's it was it's incredible man like all those people they're just everything about it it's just magical man it's just and then seeing that in real life like going to see some of those first matches and stuff like yeah just amazing man well it's so, like such a, such a positive role model man yeah like yeah meeting kids who are x'd up and they're like oh i found out <laughs> about straight edge because of cm punk yeah it's... but like how many years after that song even came out man it's amazing bro yeah, it's it's really it's and once again though that is that impact of you know people like yourself, people like Ian yeah. McKay, like people spreading this stuff, having impact on people who wind up having impact on people. Like it really is like the sort of ripple effect that goes and yeah. goes. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, man. How far this music or all the different generations it's been through. You know what I mean? Still and still connection to people for sure. Um, what was it like recording with Don Fury for the first time? Like obviously. You know he's the guy to go to but was there any other choice or was it just kind of like you're in new york at that time you're gonna record with don fury <laughs> any other choice I th- yeah i know it's funny about that i didn't realize it until like a couple years ago when bridge and i we released those demos that walter schreif was was there with us and he was kind of producing us and he got no credit and so i had to tell chris bridge nine dude i i just found out that walt i forgot walter's really anyway yeah i think walter's guys got us in there because i had been there before when they were doing demos for start today and i was around that part of the 80s when they were going to that spot um in the basement yeah it was just the thing you do like okay our seven inches our demo is gonna be done by darren down fury of course it's gonna be done that's like it's the go-to so yeah that just happened like that i think it was made probably through walter since he was there and did those demos man and then yeah, that was pretty awesome to work with him because he has all the seven inches on the wall. It's just history. It's just timing and where you're and you being the right time and being there. And those guys, yeah, go to Don Fury. It wasn't like, you know, you're going to Rick Rubin, no disrespect, but it's just like Don Fury does the hardcore records. But then you look back at Don Fury now and all the stuff he's done, you're like, damn, man, I got to work with that dude. It's pretty awesome. But yeah, yeah. Then we did the demos and then got to Steve Reddy. And then he's like, I'll, put, I'll do the seven inch. You're like, okay. And then that's it just, that's just how it happened. I don't know. It's wild when you go through Don Fury because, like you're saying, he does all this. He does all the every you know the 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 starter kit for hardcore records, basically. Yeah. But then he also does the first Cat Power seven inch, and he's Which doing. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, he's doing like all these other things because it's like he's also just like a great engineer in New York. Yeah. So all this other stuff's just coming through him. So it's amazing when you go through that discography, like, oh yeah, like he worked with this artist too and that artist too, and like he he is you know one of the great engineers for to come out of this thing. Yeah, and you call him an engineer because I guess he was an engineer. I guess he wasn't the producer, right? Well, I guess he did produce some stuff, but I I think for some stuff, he was also just more engineering it. I I don't know. It's like I've always wanted to work with him. My uh, Ruination recorded with him, and I was there kind of as a fly on the wall, but I was like just a little punisher. I didn't really, you know, I'd like to go back and actually record for real. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's still doing stuff too, right? I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah. And I think you still record, and I think you still record on the drum kit that they did Victim in Pain on wow man wow that's that's crazy man yeah so yeah don fury that was awesome too you gotta work with him man like he's a funny guy too he's yeah it's awesome a lot of history with him uh, how did you wind up doing the stuff with eyeball records like that's who put out the demo seven inch originally right yeah Vinny. i know Vinny from generation records man that was my record store 
that we always go to. We did some promo shots in there. Um, we just became really good friends. And we, we lived not too far from Generations, me and my wife. And this became super close to Vinny, the manager there. And then he started his label. And then later on, when we did the, uh, we wanted to put that on the seven inch. She was, this is do what I do. With, I said, you want to do? He's like, sure. And he was so supportive of H2O and carried all of our stuff in there, carried all of our merch in there. Then we did some signings in there. We ended up shooting the What Happened video in there. Um, I just went there two weeks ago. I bought a minor thread shirt. They were 51 years old. Went shopping there like two weeks ago. It's still there. Um, yeah, it's just big part of New York history, part of our history, a great record store, still standing there. Um, right, yeah, it's so we said we do a video just as a friend. Let's do it, let's put it out. That was I forgot we did that with him. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, eyeball records also like you know, yourselves, the casualties, oh, yeah. Thursday, I hate God, my chemical Thursday? romance. Yeah. My Chemical Romance. Yeah, their first records all came out on there. Holy shit, I didn't know that, man. Yeah. It's, so it it's, became a big label after that? It was a big label later on? Not even. Like, I think it did become a big label in the sense that it has some of the stuff as catalog. But yeah. I think it was more just like, you know, someone who's in the right place with a good ear. Who's, yeah. Who knows, like, oh, shit, this is important. But, like, you know, it's, I think it also speaks to volume for all the stuff that was coming out of that kind of geographical area around that time. Like so yeah. many you know bands that are i guess legendary at this point dude my chem guys were so cool they those dudes dude they're like hardcore kids from jersey I mean, those guys just to watch hazen street on the warp tour all the time we we're hanging with them it was just sweet kids i was so happy for them when they fucking blew up it was crazy man yeah and it's it's yeah. it's bizarre once again like how big some of the stuff winds up blowing up too because like you know much like cm punk and straight edge there's like a whole generation of kids that are completely unaware that they're like a legit hardcore band that kind of comes out of the basements of new jersey yeah man that's crazy i i really i mean I, i've noticed as i got older too is i don't know they're like i feel like a lot of kids do do a lot of research now like the kind of hardcore like or punk historians like yourself you know a lot about music and uh they're, they're checking the roots of where the stuff comes from as as for a moment i feel like nobody really cares it's like oh this is this band i don't care that they sound like that band from 20 years ago but i think I feel like more kids are being doing with the internet. It's so easy to do research and just kind of check the history of the couple clicks. I don't know. I, I hope that's what the case is, but I see a lot of people loving like the, the older bands. It's like this throwback vibe with some of the sounds. I mean, turnstile is my favorite thing that's ever happened in music. I'm obsessed with them. I love them live. I love their music They're I think they're such talented kids. And like, when I saw them, I saw them a couple weeks ago, I'm standing next to Fletcher and Doug Carrion. And we have our masks. We're just watching it's all these kids going bananas. And I'm like, man, if I have to walk away from hardcore right now, I'll be so happy it's in the hands of these kids because, like, it's such a positive energy, man. It's everything I love about hardcore, punk, pop, everything, man. I just, I love it, man. I really feel like they're, you know, almost like a, a continuation of what you what you put out there. You know, like I really look at Turnstile, you know, like the the dropping of go-go music in there the like the unabashed like pop kind of references that they drop in there yeah. and like you know you always struck about me, yeah yeah you're like you struck me as one of those people that was you know always championing that stuff like madonna covers like you guys doing madonna covers and shit like that like oh, madonna you were always kind of like you know preaching about this thing being wider than you know just the sea especially coming out of new york hardcore which is such a defined thing in people's minds yeah, and I get, I'll give that credit to Shrifles. Like I said, I come home, he's playing the Sugar Cubes. I'm like, what's that? Or the Smiths meet his murder. I'm like, meet his murder. I thought like, thought Youth of Today started this. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> this band has a record like 
they opened my mind to all that. And then once I saw seven seconds thanking you too, and I already liked you too. Can I listen to you too? Can I talk about it? Oh, so Kevin Seconds grew his hair long and he's fucking, they do a record called Praise and New Wind and Ourselves. I'm like, I loved all the melody and I loved all the sensitive stuff and obviously Madonna, but like, yeah, punk rock told me, taught me to be open-minded and like everything and not just live like this. And I lived like that for a minute. I was like, just punk rock only, fuck everything, fuck rock music, fuck Nirvana, all this shit. You know, I was in my like hardcore bubble. And then later on, you realize, wow, these bands are fucking incredible. Mm. You know, like when you open your mind more and listen to this music as music and not, do they play CBGBs? Do they have a demo tape? Do they have a first seven inch? Like, fuck all that. It's just about the, you know what I'm saying? Like the music and then like, Fuck, seeing Dave Grohl playing Scream, and all of a sudden you hear Dave Grohl's in fucking Nirvana. I'm like, yes, this is so cool. Like, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. I just I just feel like some people, sometimes a hardcore punk scene can be very closed-minded at times, but the thing that I got from punk was to be open-minded. And it's like, and like, listen to different things. And I don't, I don't know. I think, I think the reason it gets closed-minded sometimes is because of the trauma that brings people to it. You know, like people's fear of abandonment, like, well, this band's popular now, they're going to leave me. You know, they don't, they're yeah. not going to care about me anymore. And it, it really does come back to that emotional baggage. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh my God, they're not playing the seven kids in the basement no more. Oh, I can't yeah. mess with them more. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the kids that I don't like, like them now. And this thing that made me special and made me feel good no longer is my special thing. I get you know, it. You know, like, I, I really do empathize now like looking at it like i can totally understand why people don't ride with my band after a certain point because like mm -hmm. they feel that i i abandoned them and i'm like yeah I, I know i can see that like you know it's it's a hard thing to kind of like it's interesting terms with but you didn't mean to do that like no. i don't know it's like if you love a band you should want them to get their message out to more people if you love their band their message and they have a chance to get it to more people and maybe do it for a living and do something they love and inspire people or they're like they did you you should be stoked for that I, I, yeah. i'm stoked for all my friends I, I wish all my friends success i love when all my friends do good things or doing that i, I get so psyched on all that you know yeah. like and even people that say talk shit about green day and all these bands offspring all these bands like yo all those bands helped us like me being on epitaph and offspring being on and blowing that label up to be able to sign us and help us and all the stuff that they trickle down to all the younger bands it, it all helped everyone man oh because definitely if you like the band or not if they're on the radio you have to listen to them but all those bands that came from where we came they they, they went up like that like i'm happy for i'm stoked for everybody man because they, they love what they're doing and it's like it's helping people right it helps them it helps other people and uh well, I think you need those on ramps. You need those bands to get popular to replenish the pool because if it's just this cool, like little click, it's going to die off eventually. You know, like yeah. you need people coming in. You need like, you need a band like Green Day. We need Turnstile to get as big as fucking possible. Like Turnstile needs yes. to be the biggest band in the world because that way there'll be more kids coming in for the next wave. Like, yeah, like I. You know, and I wish I felt this way the whole way through it, but I'd be lying if I said I did. You know, I think yeah. it comes with time and, and getting age. older. All yeah. that, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's why. I, but I like you bring up Kevin Seconds. To me, he is the ultimate role model. And I remember, hundred percent. You know, like that Warp Tour. You guys, you doing a collection to get Kevin Seconds a new pair of shoes? Yeah, uh, <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, <laughs> and because it was like, but he is he is that guy that was at that Warp Tour with you guys and then he's with kill your idols a few years later yeah but before that he's with 
you know minor threat and like the people from sonic youth and mike watt are doing a band covering the first seven seconds seven inch like it's just they're just yeah. so important to and so important man i know they're not underrated but i feel like more i, I feel like I don't know. I'm glad they're coming back. I was texting with Kevin saying, I'm so excited. I'm so happy for them. But like, yeah, man, just those records, man, just the lyrics, just everything stuff he was singing about back then. Like yeah. just not just boys fun and then man enough to care. My favorite song, a new one about not raising your kid to be so macho and like, it doesn't have to be, you know, play sports and this tough love that really connected to me, not having a father. And like, I didn't even think about going to be a father someday, but I was so young when I heard that song. And, uh, if I listen to that song now, I get emotional. I always tell Kevin, you're my dad. I always call him my dad. He hates it. But I'm like, he was my father figure, man. Whether he likes it or not, he was like my guidance counselor that I was too scared to talk to in real life. And there were lyrics and everything just totally guided me and inspired me. But Kevin Seconds, yeah, I think he's, a, he's in my top, top, man. Lyrical writers, songwriters, fucking, yeah, man. Yeah, and they're not, you know, they, like, like you're saying, they're not underrated. But at the same time, like for how good they are and how many how important they are and how many evolutions they kind of went through they, they are underrated because like, like how the mis like how the misfits are almost a household name that's yeah. that's why i want seven seconds yeah exactly and like you know and not you know not to undercut any other band but like my god you know seven kevin seconds will not let you down in the same way that some of these other people might let you down that you can look never. up. never he's the realest humblest doing blogs while he's being an Uber driver last year, like 100 himself, always, always like honest. I, I love that about him. And he was even, yeah, I just, fuck man. I had my podcast twice, four hour episodes, each episode. I could still talk to him more. Like I just love talking to him. He's just, he's just amazing, man. He was around for all that, but he's still around for it now and respects yeah. it now. And like the newer bands, like you said, and like keeps, he listens to stuff. And I even talked to Milo about, turnstile a couple weeks ago i was like tell him about, about the terry but a band every because is it turnstile i'm like yeah he goes i love them i was like holy shit i texted the dudes i'm like dude i said my we're talking about you like it's just so cool that everybody our age is like listening to this we keep an eye on what's going on and i don't know man yeah like it feels like i don't know like punk is moving towards what it always thought it was you know mm -hmm. like it's going to reflect what the lyrics have been about and you know the positivity you know like like you know I, i'm sure having lived through it you know like there there tends to be a lot of negativity sometimes in positive hardcore and it really <laughs> does feel like now we're moving towards a true positive kind yeah. of hardcore space you know i like i look at there's that crazy day that turnstile record came out the bronx record came out and chubby and the gang put out like you're three bands that directly connect back to like legit punk and they're all on the top of like the the alternative metal charts or whatever like they're like really? yeah like it was just oh, it's man. like awesome to kind of see this you know like this the Bronx are awesome man Woo. yeah too. incredible Who's and chubby and the gang too is fucking what is incredible that? what is that chubby and the gang it's like uh kind of like oi but like a really strong pop sensibility uh they're super tight with um chisel who've been okay. doing a lot of stuff with Freddie Alva and sort of that okay. New York graffiti stuff that he's been oh, doing really? lately. Yeah. I'm yeah, check they, him out. They do a lot of love for New York hardcore, like incredibly deep knowledge. And actually Jonah from Fucked Up produces them. Okay. Are they a younger band? Uh, like, I think they're like in their thirties, okay. I want to say, but like maybe, young. maybe younger. Okay. Yeah. But they're, they're awesome. Like really, you know, once again, like the Bronx and Turnstile and them are all putting out really cool records that, 
you know, don't sound like discharged, but at the same time, like it all comes from punk, like what they're doing. And they're great live too. They, they yeah. really bring it live. There's like this energy, like dude, that's so important too. I think that's, what's going to make punk, you know, and hardcore and stuff like have a second sort of a second or third, whatever Renaissance right now is the fact that it is such a live genre and people, when they go out and see something live, they think they really want to see something live right now. And, and especially right now, man, just having that connection, all that it's been missed for so long. It's, yeah, it's almost emotional. When I saw Turns, that was the first show I saw since the lockdown, like that I didn't play. It was just, just being there and watching is just, you feel that in your soul. Like you just feel the, the whole crowd singing everything. And it's like, they're like, their lighters up for the slow. So I just like, <laughs> it was just magical, man. Just, I don't know, man. It was, it was a great show to go back to and see. It was outside. It was nice, you know? Yeah. I found like, I, I like, I feel like uh, Scrooge on Christmas day waking up like you sir what day is it today you boy and then like it's christmas day sir like i feel like i can live my whole life again now you know like i can go out mm. and I really appreciate this like i'm never going to complain about a long tour like there's no, Dude, no I side know. of that i was thinking the other me, me and i always joke like i would kill to be backstage right now eating some shitty catering just sitting in a hot ass dressing room in the middle of the summer in italy waiting to play <laughs> i'm like all that shit like because when you, you get there, you're like, you miss your family, yep. you're trying to eat, you're trying to sleep, and you get those 45 to an hour you get to play. That's that's what you're there for. But those other 24 hours, just like, oh, I miss my family FaceTime. You know, it's like, yeah. but now be just to be somewhere and <laughs> so have good, more bro. than more than have two shows in a row at least. or something, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, I, th I think it's like, I don't know, for me, I think I, I part of the reason I resented it is because I feared that it wouldn't last forever. So mm. part of me would be like, oh, I don't love it this much, you know, and now I realize like, no, I loved every aspect of it from the shitty food at the truck stop to like, you know, all of it. I just I loved it too much to ever admit how much I loved it. And when's the last time you guys played? We we did a surprise show because we were supposed to play Riot Fest, but then uh, our drummer got turned away because he lives in England now and you're not allowed to go to to america from england true. so Damn. so we we played a last minute show in toronto and it felt like you're saying it felt like uh really emotional like yeah you know like there's a moment where at the start of this pandemic thing i'm like looking at hardcore and what a hardcore show is and looking at how this thing's spreading i'm like well hardcore's over we're never going to play a show like again and to Such have a contact back, music yeah yeah like I, I there's no there's no part of me that thinks that this thing is is a music that doesn't benefit from a live experience especially now i spent a lot of time listening to these records but i wish i could see some of these bands live <laughs> yeah live is this so what year was it you guys been? was it 2019 to 20. uh we our lot we just played 2000 um we played like two months ago, but then oh, before sure. that, okay, okay. Wow. Our, our last show before that was we did Australia in October of 2019. Okay. Was our last one. And, and actually we left that tour, got off stage, got in a huge fight. And I'm like, well, this is the last show I'll ever play in my band. Fuck those dudes went home. And then, well, the world fucked me. So wow, <laughs> they called shit. my bluff. Damn, man, that's fucking crazy, man. Yeah, but it's, the last, you know. <laughs> the last tour I did was 2020. was Agnostic Front, H2O, Gorilla Biscuits, Wisdom and Chains <laughs> in Europe. It was incredible. And the whole time we kept saying, this is the best tour we've ever done. If this is the last tour we ever have to do, 
we're down with it. No, no, didn't think about the pandemic, nothing. It's always said every show was great. Every, I hung out all night long, partying, everybody chilling. It was a magical tour. And then that's it. And that's the last time AF played. So many bands played since that. It's so crazy, bro. Yeah. And it's, it feels like, yeah, it feels like it just stopped, you know, like it just was like the records hit a, hit a scratch and the needle popped off the record, you know, like it just, and so now to have it kind of potentially coming back, it's, I don't know, it's really cool. Like looking at that section hate footage of them playing that outdoor show yeah. in LA and being like, fuck. That's amazing, man. <laughs> that looked incredible, man. Oh, good. Yeah. That's insane. You know, it's, yeah. Um, you know, it's crazy too. The shout out to the wives because this is the longest I've been home my entire life being married to my wife. Longest I've been in her face 24 seven. Well, she worked, but like, yeah, it's just because you, yeah. you know, the, the thing about my wife's like, the reason why we're still together because you do leave and you do come back and like the absurd makes the heart grow strong, whatever that means. But yeah, so nope. then we're home. We're like, boop, here we are. Preach on that one. I definitely, they cannot wait to get rid of me in this house. It looks like yeah. you have your little room. That's like your little room right there though yeah i hide down here in the basement but they find me <laughs> and, you know, but they they definitely want me to get back on the road like any day now dad come on like it's I, crazy, but then you know like you have, you have a wonderful marriage man you make it through all this man it's pretty awesome man yeah i think that's the other thing is no matter what your situation was before this unless you're a billionaire this thing yeah, exactly. made it harder and mm -hmm. and to kind of come out of it like I have so much more love and respect for my kids and so much more yes. love and respect for my wife now. Like it's, I know yeah, it's, what their lives are like. were doing while you were gone too, like holding it down, especially yeah. three kids, bro. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. I really ruined her life. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're home. You're like, wow, this is hard just with us too. Imagine like, it's crazy, bro. It's the dynamics change, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's like the the reality is that things change and like being adaptable to it is when you you know that's what i think uh i've come out of this thing with like okay i got to be adaptable because things change at a moment's yeah. notice yeah, i thing. hope we're not gonna happen again but we'll see what happens um i want to talk to you though about like uh that moment where you know like everything does start exploding for the band you guys wind up signing to mca records mm. and just that what was that moment like for you was there any hesitation in that moment about making that jump like obviously epitaph's a huge label at that point but yeah. like coming out of that dc scene which was so like you know radically independent yeah uh, was there that hesitation or was that never an issue 100 hesitation hesitation for me 100 for sure um that was something where we were on epitaph for two records um it started getting so many bands on there and my brother mainly my brother was like this so this guy Hans Haydel, he wanted to sign us from the jump because Blackout had an imprint on MCA originally. Mm -hmm. So when we were on that, we were on Blackout, we, it was part of an that merged to like an imprint, Blackout MCA, whatever. So he followed us from the first record through both Epitaph records. And then when it came time, because we only I think we had a two-record deal with Epitaph. And then my brother's like, yeah, we should try something different. Let's try something different. We're down. We see some of our friends are on major labels now, they're trying something different. And um, we reached out to Hans and he was down like, yeah, I'm, I've been waiting for this. Like, I want, let me try this. And I'm not sure if Sheer Terror was on there yet. Cause I thought they were part of MCA two at one point. I think they Blackout. were before. I think they like, okay. I think that's the deal. Why Blackout did that thing. I think okay. Sheer Terror told him to look for a major. Okay. So that's okay. So that, and then 
So then we're still with with Hans, and he's still friends with Bill. So it's kind of this blackout MCA connection anyway. And Newfound Glory was on there, Blink was on there, and my brother really was pushing for it. He's like, we should try something different. We feel like we're like a uh, uh, little fish in a big. But I don't know how he felt about being an epitaph. There's so many bands, and it was great. I loved epitaph. So it's like. I was happy there. So were some other members of the band, but my brother was happy, but he's like, let's try it. We can always come back. And Brett's like, dude, you want to try, you can come back. He was always cool from the jump. And bands had done that. They had left to majors and they came back to fat or to like epitaph. And so we did it and Hans Hadel signed us. And then Todd Friend's dream was to work with Matt Wallace because he loves R.E.M. and Faith No More. And Matt Wallace had done these records. And so our drummer got to pick. We really want this guy. And yeah, we made that record, man. It was nerve-wracking we stayed at uh apartments called the oakwoods in la we recorded the record at rumbo studios guns and roses was right next to us doing chinese democracy the whole fucking time yeah and like you would hear over the loudspeakers our actuals in the parking lot everybody gets so nervous we would be in our room he'd come in by himself and like go watch football in the other room and he was there it was very surreal man we made this record matt wallace um I don't hate the record. I talk about this a million times. I don't hate the record. I love the songs. For me personally, they were way overproduced. If if and I talk about this too. Like if Chad Gilbert had did what he did on Nothing Improved with those songs, it probably would have been a different record because a lot of those songs stand out in the set list still to this day from that record live. They they gel perfectly. Mm-hmm. But for me, you know, I was moving to California. Um, we would talk about having a child. My head was not in there. And that's the only record I never write, wrote one lyric on. I did? Nothing, I did nothing on that album. Whoa, I had no idea about that. Yep, you heard it first here. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I spoke about it on my podcast. Yeah, yeah I kind of like let my brother take the reins. I, I love the songs. It was cool. It was amazing work with Matt Wallace. Um, he pushed me really hard. But yeah, there was too many effects on my vocals. It was too uh, poppy for me when I heard it. And... There's really talk about it right now that's 20 years old this year about re-recording those songs with Chad Gilbert. That was like, that's like my dream because I love working with Chad. He gets us and he gets the right sound. But yeah, it was a great experience. I don't regret it. I love the songs. I just wasn't happy with the production. Well, I guess there's always that thing with with punk bands from the East Coast where, you know, the the, the draw of California and like that sort yes. of like California production. Yeah. And Tarfin loved... And Tom Morris, they love R.E.M. They love Faith and More. I love those bands too, but they really love those bands. And we got to work with Matt Wallace and he's fucking still our friend today. Incredible. It was a great experience. It was very surreal. Gave us way too much money for that record. Uh, still haven't recouped from it, obviously. <laughs> um, we see these statements like, you still, it's silly. Um, but yeah, I don't regret it. I just, I feel like those songs were, I, I love playing those songs live, but the record was just, way were produced for me and it's my fault because my head wasn't in there 100 i came in do my part go back to my wife was trying to find a place to live all this stuff um but yeah it was but the lucky for us we didn't sign for like 10 album records and i think something merged and mca like poofed and we just got set free bro and that shit never happens to anybody <laughs> on a major label yeah we're so lucky we got and still i'm trying to see if we even get that record somehow because it's been over 20 years but um yeah we like we get we get to go free man so and after that we little burnt we little burnt that's why we took that hiatus making albums for sure i don't think people can appreciate unless they have kids what it's like to have kids and try and do something creative like make a record like yeah it nearly killed me yeah 
because you're my, yeah, you're, you're a different. Once you have, first of all, we have a kid, you're a different person. Mm-hmm. Everything on the world changes. Your whole perspective and everything is not about you. It's about keeping these kids safe. You know what I'm saying? Like this world's fucked. And you start seeing the world, how really crazy it is. Before that, you're just living. You're going through, you with your lady, your wife, your girlfriend, whatever. Just you too. But yeah, it's definitely then the focus on that, being a dad and then moving and then record. And, but yeah, I mean, yeah, people give a shit on the internet. It's so interesting because that's when the message boards and all that shit was popping. The faceless coward cowboy, keyboard cowboys, whatever the fuck they call them. And people just, you know, talking shit. And, uh, but now people love that record, bro. Now people ask us to play those songs all the time. Memory Lane's like one of our biggest songs you play in South America, dude. It's like, it was crazy. And we did Conan O'Brien. That was amazing. We had John Joseph in the audience. We had like, we're in our friend shirts. So we like the first hardcore band on there. People call it sellouts for that. Okay, cool. Because we're, because we're representing our friends on <laughs> television. That was so fun. Um, what's his face was there? Will, uh, fuck man. Will, what's his name? Will Farrell? Will Farrell? Will Farrell, yeah. Farrell was there. There was like a fucking bear in a cage in the back. John Joseph, like a proud dad in the crowd. Those my boys like yelling between the all of our friends were there. So that that was magical. The label, like, they made us we had we did a video for role model, and then they're like, we want to play memory lane on the show. And then, like, maybe we should push like a prayer single. Like, nah, that's when we're like, nah, we're not gonna push a uh, cover song as a single. So then it kind of got back and forth. It, it wasn't, it got really kind of strange there. Yeah. And I think like we were saying earlier, like there's these people that have like obviously nostalgic attachments to every single one of your records and when you put out a new record of course they're not going to necessarily like it but they're not the people that that record's going to be important for they already mm. have their record that's important to them that yeah. you put out it's these like you're saying like these kids that that's the first record by h2o they heard like that record's going to be their favorite record forever and like yeah it's weird when you like get some distance from this stuff you realize like yeah it's so, so much of it is just you know time and place it is. And like back then you were judged on what label you're on. You're an epitaph, you're on fat, you're on a major or a sellout before they even hear the record. But then we put the record on, it's over popping. I get it. They were like, oh shit. But they sh- it should have been much of a shock because we were always talking about pop music and we had melody and doing these songs. And we always loved that. We always wanted to like not preach to the converted and always wanted to like push ourselves. And that was always a thing for H2O. So I'm proud that we made that move in that record. But if it could have been less poppy and less, you know, uh, clean, I've been happier, you know, but yeah. Well, I think it's also the time too, right? Like production. It's so weird to like yeah. think about the early aughts in music, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the eighties yeah. the again. Totally. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was crazy. Like, and then we always had this thing where like, one of us is going to say something to Axel. It's going down today. He's in there by himself. So what I would walk, I would go, I'm going to say what's up to him. And I would walk in there. I see him, and they were like a full yellow jumpsuit on with high oxblood boots and his braids. And he's drinking a coffee. He's just watching football. I look at him, and I keep going. I go in the bathroom. I look in the mirror. Okay, I start talking in the mirror like what I'm going to say to him when I come out. And I come out. I walk right past that motherfucker and say shit to him. <laughs> he was surreal, bro. He was like a wax figure of himself. He was just Axel. And he's by himself in there, dude. And I, none of us ever said shit to him, dude. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> My friend did a one-year tour with him and met him twice. Are you serious? Yeah, on the whole tour. A whole year tour? Hang on a second. But yeah, so that that experience was like, yeah, it was an amazing experience. Like I said, 
It was really fun. And if I could re-redo that record, I would I would do it with Chad. And I feel like I feel like those songs would because it was so many. I loved a lot of songs on there. A couple of songs, not so much. But um, but any any of my opinions on this record are my opinions, and it was my fault because my head was not hundred percent there. Yeah. So then yeah. we came back with nothing to prove. That was all my shit. I was just like, dude, I'm writing this whole shit, right? Getting everything out. It's been like seven years since we did a record. And going to Bridge Nine was like the smartest thing we ever done, dude. Yeah. Well, it felt like that was like finally like a place where, you know, where you weren't the, the odd one out trying to carve a place for yourself. Like, I guess since back to the, like the early days. Yeah, for sure. And like we had one lunch with uh, Chris Bridge Nine. We've been there the whole time for us, always coming to our shows. And we was like, like I think we're ready to do a record. You know what I mean? He's like, I'd love to have you. Then Chad's like, I want to do it. Chad was starting to get in producing right then. And it was just perfect, man. Him and Paul Miner at Buzz Bomb Studios, incredible engineer. And I'm really, that's like one of my favorite records ever done since the first one. Like that record meant a lot. It was very uh, personal. And it was, and it was all my shit I wrote. And so I was really, and it been since the Go record or FTTW since I had written a song. Cause the Go, I just like, whatever. So yeah, the Nothing Improved record. It was it was a perfect timing for them. We're very lucky that people wait around to hear something too, because a lot of people are just like, fuck these guys, you know what I mean? Like sellouts. And uh, but they came back and they some waited too, you know. Well, I think okay. the other thing is like you guys never changed as people. You never know? like that never. was like you never really had to go back from that sellout of being like a different band and then being like, Hey, we're back. No, never do we always I was always X'd up, just everything. We're always yeah. repping our friends. Like it was still us, but we just tried another label. And it did, and we, and it, and you know, I can't say it didn't work because there was a lot of people that to now, and I post them, Go was my first time hearing you. The first time I heard Go was from you guys. Or when you were on tour, Boxcar Racer, or Tom DeLong wore your license plate shirt. Or, but a lot of it goes to the Go record. And so, like, okay, that record did, it did do well and get out there to people. But, it was more of a new audience than the older kids. But so, but even the older kids now, like, I fucked with it, but I don't want to say anything. Or, like, I wasn't <laughs> the one dissing you on the message board. Or, yeah. you know, and then I'm happy. I think that they waited for nothing to prove. And I feel like we were proud of it. And I feel like we didn't let them down with that record, hopefully. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. And yeah, I think Chad was perfect for us, you know? Yeah. I think Shai Halut's super underrated, too, as a band. Like, obviously, Ooh. Newfield Glory, he found what he was doing. But that guy's got a voice. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're underrated too. I think you're right. They inspired a lot of bands as well. Yeah. Like they were they felt like pre-refused, like they were going to be the band that blew up. Mm. You know, then Shape of Punk to Come came out and it, it was like that was the record that kind of did it. But my heart bleeds the darkest blood. I remember people going fucking nuts for that thing. And that's Walter too. Well, Walter put that on Crisis. Oh, he did? Well, it's on I don't know if he was still doing okay, Crisis okay. at that point, but that's his imprint wow yeah i didn't even know about that till the other day we talked saw my we talking to him and derek mentioned to him about crisis and all the records you put out yeah yeah you know he's like walter's like this guy that Dude. like you're saying like he's 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 like an unseeing hand in music kind of moving pieces around behind the scenes he was part he i told him the other day like he's like my east coast tim armstrong as far as songwriting like oh i love everything tim armstrong does everything he produces we transpends it's everything and same with Walter, man, from GB to Quicksand, Rival Schools, everything, man. Just walking concert, his solo stuff, open letter to the scene. Yeah. Dude, he's just such an incredible songwriter, man. I like that there's certain songs that you Big can record. See. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know. I was going to say, like, there's certain records where you can, like, certain songs where you can see him. He's working it out in, in, um, 
in um uh, what's the band Moondog, and then yeah Moondog yes, and then it's figured out more by the time it's in quicksand and you know like you can see him playing with these different things at different times like it's like it's like a auteur filmmaker where you can follow his career through these different bands and watch as his sound progresses and his songwriting progresses it needs to be a strifles doc dude yeah it'd be awesome it'd be it's too happy it'd be too positive everyone would be just like too <laughs> nice there's no no drama i know he's just like our love is just so energy and like lived in berlin yeah like, everything like lived yeah. in ohio as a kid we we're talking about that the other day like he's i don't know and that, and that start today record he wrote, just this everything he wrote everything he's just i don't know man he's got a great resume man he's continuing to make great music as well you know yeah you know it project x did him dirty by calling him no dedication <laughs> it was a youth to say winner this alone album yeah war zone like, war zone like he's in war zone no <laughs> are, you, are, we, are we are we a lot different you talk about your age are you a lot younger than me or different uh, i I'm, I'm 42 okay i'm 51 okay right yeah so we're pretty close i'm like you know but i'm i'm definitely of that wave that we're like walter you know walked on water you know like and then to yeah. meet him and have him be cool was just like whoa this is like he should have an attitude but he's like he's like kevin seconds it's completely yeah. different but like same sort of thing all those dudes are humble man there's a lot of people from our scene that are very humble they had such a massive impact and they just see the songs they wrote at that time at that age they were going through something in life but i don't know man just I don't know. It's interesting. There's a lot of people humble, but I think there's there's a propensity in hardcore and and, and punk to take yourself very seriously. And I find, mm -hmm. you know, the, the ability to laugh at yourself is what separates those guys. Like those I guys love can... laughing at myself. I see yeah, a meme we post it. I love seeing stupid memes. I love that. I don't give a shit. I love it because I've never taken yourself seriously. And that's the thing about each story. We never took ourselves seriously, man. We've never tried to be the tightest band uh, the most professional band. Like I call ourselves hard to organize. We've all, still to this day, we're very unorganized. We just play for fun. Like we're not, I was never a singer. Rusty was never a guitar player. We just played, started the band. Just, I don't know. I don't know. I just love playing the music, but yeah, we never, we always made fun of ourselves, man. Life's too short to take yourself so seriously, dude. Kind of a super group though, at the get-go with H2O. You got people from DC hardcore, people mm. from Rhode Island hardcore coming together. Someone from mm. Shelter. Like it's a real uh, confluence of all these different scenes kind of coming together. Like you say, it's not, no one's from New York, but it's like, yeah. In the same way it is kind of like a, a, a typical, like an atypical New York band that everyone's kind of coming together and meeting in that city. Yeah, for sure. We're all like met in that city. We're all inspired by that city, by that scene. Like, yeah, this, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. None of us are all born in Queens or nothing. Yeah. We just came, we're transplants to that city. Man, Adam came straight from England from his fucking parents' house, you know? to shelter and then to us yeah literally sheltered life to us yeah it's crazy <laughs> yeah man fucking it's a wild journey man who's the hardest mosher do you think that you saw i mean rap bones this kid rap guy rap bones is a yeah. grown man now he was a sick dancer back then like he would really have a sick style he's skinny long arms lanky like you just see him go like the misfit skulls on his neck he would just have a, a great swagger to him. You know what I mean? He wasn't trying to hurt anybody. He's just dancing. Like he just had his great. Um, Chaka Malik was amazing, like spiritual kind of dancer vibe back then. Burn, Orange Nine. Like, and then there's some people you see, like, I'm staying away from this guy. I'm not going to get, you know what I mean? Like, 
there were some gnarly dances, but yeah, I would say Chaka stood out to me. Definitely Rat Bones. Um, who else would be a gnarly dancer? Some people I don't even remember the names. When I first came to New York, I was like, yo, that's, I'm, 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 I'm chilling, man. I think I'm coming from, I'm coming from D.C., where it's like <laughs> up and down, around and around, you know, and uh, yeah, it was just, it was diff two different worlds, man. But yeah, it was, you, you, when you got to New York, you map, you were like, stay, don't, don't bump into that guy, stay away from that guy in the pit. You were told like, don't go around these people because mm -hmm. yeah. they're not only dancers or something. Yeah. Like well, it was scary, man. Well, it seems like a completely, as you're saying, completely different idea than what DC is going towards at that point. Yeah. Like it's getting harder in, in New York as it's kind of getting more mellow in DC. Totally. Yeah, it, for sure. It, yeah. It's a fascinating time. It's also, it's, it's also amazing when you think about New York, how many disparate political ideas, disparate people are kind of coming together. Like there's mm -hmm. like, like, look at, look at the, the, the rev comp with YDL and nausea on it. Like, like the yeah. fact is you've got all these different people somehow coexisting in really close quarters together yeah that's true i never thought about that yeah that compilation i guess it only happens because of respect like that's the thing about new york like you like you're saying you're warned right away you have there's rules in new york like well there's thing. respect there's like the ogs there's like i don't know there's people you don't want to like piss off or dive onto or <laughs> yeah then you're right then there's like nausea who played like abc in rio then they play cbs too but then there was like this whole world of like abc in rio bands and then cbs bands and but they were all, everybody's all, it wasn't like no beef or nothing. It was just, everybody's kind of doing their different, the part of the scene, but doing different things, you know? I have found- Some more political than others, yeah. Well, and I, I, like you're saying, there's no beef, but I have found there's definitely people that, when I brought up like, oh, did you ever go to ABC No Rio? They're like, no, I never felt welcome there. Or mm -hmm. did you ever go to this place for shows? They're like, no, I didn't feel safe at those shows. Like it- did, I can see that. You know, like it feels like there must've been- you know, like different mentalities, I guess, in these different places. Yeah. Also, depends who's playing on the bill. You know what I mean? It was like a super hard band, or like a band from out of town. It's it's kind of hard if you go see a band that's has like a more aggressive crowd. And the other bands, some of these bills are different bands from different areas, and it's like you go see the band you like, and I'm leaving for this band stars because I'm not going to get kicked in my head or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. You know well, what I mean? Yeah, well, I guess that's why you start having more bills where bands kind of like you're saying, like there's like straight edge shows or there's this kind yeah. of show because, you know, like people are like, well, I only like this type of thing or I only feel safe at this kind of place or whatnot. Like it, it definitely like is almost like a natural division that seems to rise up at a certain point. Yeah, shows that you knew you were safe at, positive shows, sing-along shows and safe shows. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. But then it just got all, like I said, later 90s and all the bands came out. And I felt like I prided ourselves too. We always had lots of girls up front stage diving. We had punk rockers, skins, all the all different types of of hardcore punks at our shows. I always, I always loved that because yeah. we weren't. People thought we were straight edge band. We weren't. Um, but yeah, we always had them. Eric Rice used to always have a beer and have an O written on his hand <laughs> on stage. Oh, for open mind, he called open minded O. Bro, he's amazing. Eric, shout out to Eric Rice. Uh, and he was from Buffalo, Zero Tolerance, our first base. I know. Classic. Zero Tolerance, another band where you got Underrated. Gold, Goldfinger in there, too. You know? Yes. <laughs> he's from Canada, too, no? Uh, he lives in Canada now. Darren okay, lives okay. up here. But I think he's I think he's from Buffalo originally. He's not yeah. He's not on the 7-inch. He joins on the second demo, I think. But I like to say Buffalo, dude. Um, yeah, from <laughs> Buffalo, yeah. yeah. ZT, man. She's got to come on the show one day. 
Yeah, mom, we have to come on the show. Mama, you know Damien. Come here. He's surprised who I'm talking to. Come here, mama. Moon, Moon's got some Chicago stories, man. Oh, I know. I know. I remember telling me stories back in the day. Damien, back in the day. Remember him? Hey, how's it going? We're showing Nicky Reagan. Oh, that's awesome. You wrote this in my sketchbook. Mama, look, babe. In professional help, please. You happy no guns? Back then, babe. How long ago was that? 2000, I guess. 2001, maybe. No, 2000. I think 2000. Oh, I, I'm like a secret hoarder. My girlfriend is like, you'd never know because it's all hidden. But like when I pull out my boxes of things, it's like, this is from seventh grade. Oh, and that's 1991. It's like, <laughs> I love that. I love it. Can well, I tell you one thing? Yeah, um, yeah. This girl I met last week. I don't know where we were, uh, New York. She came up to me, she said, hi, can I get a picture? Yes. Okay, she's like, my name's Marta. She goes, 25 years ago, it was probably their first or second tour. She goes, I was on a plane from New York to blah, blah, blah. And I, she had a backpack on. She goes, I had my H2O patch on the back. And she goes, this girl taps me on the shoulder and said, here you go. And I, I handed, she goes, some girl handed me a laminate for a tour she goes oh i was just on this tour here and it was she still has it to this day and it was an h2o tour that we just got off and i oh, was wow. like oh here because i love collecting that but i was like she'll like this and i'm so glad to know x amount of years later yeah. she still has it i yeah. love that that's amazing babe. I'm the cool. impact this stuff has on people you know like yeah. all these years later it was three seconds i never thought about it ever since and then i was like oh that's so cool I just I just had Martine from Crudos on last week. Oh, I love Martine. I, I'm obsessed <laughs> with that Chicago scene. So anytime you want to come on here and talk Chicago Wonder, stuff, it's awesome. Oh, that's awesome! Awesome. <laughs> well, good to see you. That's amazing. Moon is made on the podcast. I know. Oh. I tell you, she. I remember talking to her the first time and talking about Billingsgate and all these old Chicago bands and stuff. So yeah, she knows all that, dude. Yeah, well, it's, it's, world, man. it's awesome too because it's like so regional that there's bands that only existed in a city that never got out of there. That if you weren't there at the time, unless you're like a huge nerd like me, researching <laughs> all this shit all the time. They're, they're, Another band that's underrated is Pegboy, dude. Yeah, Rios, man. Yeah, oh, and also Bopal Stiffs. Yes. Really, babe? Yeah, that's Larry's band. Oh, it's yeah. Larry's band. Yeah, the Effigies did good though. Effigies did good, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think Chicago's it's, it's interesting because like that there's all that first wave punk hardcore stuff, but it really starts getting crazy interesting there in like the late '80s, early '90s when you have like Screeching Weasel and Los yeah. Crudos and Cap and Jazz and like all these bands kind of playing the same shows. It's it's like you know like you're saying about New York. It's like yeah, exactly all these different sounds. Yeah, I think um, another band too. Well, obviously, Naked Reagan, I guess, were the biggest ones, right, from Chicago. I guess. Yeah, probably. I think. I mean, I, I, that's another bit I thought could should have been bigger. Like their melodies, their songs, everything, man. Mm -hmm. So catchy, dude. So melodic. And, and like, even though they don't get big, though, like you look at like, what are the biggest bands out of punk right now? And it's like amongst them, it's Fallout Boy, Rise Against, and Alkaline yeah. Trio. And they're all kind of like the children of Naked Ray Gun in a way, or like the children Great of the children point, of Naked man. Ray Gun. Yeah, they were like Joe used to go to shows in Chicago, and it's like they were all influenced by. He was an idiot, Fingers yep. Louie. That's right, eighty-eight. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, <sighs> Great that's amazing, band. man. 
Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's a, the ripple effects of this stuff. Like, I just love thinking about the fact that like Ben Weasel, Joe, like Marty, like all these people are like just chilling in the same basement shows where there wouldn't weren't more than like 20, 30 people there. And yet they're all yeah. like Moon's there probably too, like and yeah. everyone's gone on to do different things, you know, and it's all what drew all these cool, interesting people to this completely not commercial music. You know, yeah. that's the thing that makes it so fascinating. And, and sometimes I think it's because we all came from like just like home life situations or dysfunctional families. And some people know some people had amazing upbringings, just came to punk and loved it, you know, yeah. came from suburban areas. It's not just it's hard to pinpoint like why we all got drawn to this music, but it's something something special. And I think, like I said, for me, is that you, you, you could just talk to the band after you like weren't looking at them on this huge pedestal because you saw these rock videos on TV with Kiss or whatever, the big barricades and the stages. No, you can listen to these lyrics. They can really inspire you. You can go see the band, thank the band, buy their T-shirt from them or buy their record from them. And that just made it seem so, it is real. It's something that's so, it's community, unity, everything together. It's like this whole family vibe. And I think that's what drew a lot of people to it. It's a place you can go be safe, sing along to this music that's not on the radio, um, and that's okay if it was on the radio later on, but growing up, it was on the radio. So we're like, we found this thing. We found this record. We saw the thank you list. Oh, that t-shirt he's wearing. What the hell is that? Look online or order through a mail order catalog. And then let's go see this. Like, just like how we found them and discovered this music, bro. It was so magical. Mm -hmm. It's magical. I, I think you're, you're right. And I underestimate that the familial importance of this thing, like that the, it does feel like, even if you are from like a great family life, it doesn't mean they, they necessarily understood you. Yeah. And I think like finding people that understood you or could take the place of the fucked up family situation you were coming from. Like, that's what this thing provides that, yes. you know, other scenes don't provide in the same way. It's true. And, and, and the same thing, the hardcore scene is a dysfunctional family at the same sense yes. maybe in a different way though you know what i mean but there's so many characters from our from this music bro like i think should be in movies and just there's so many incredible diverse people i met because of this music and friendships and just life-changing experiences going on tour and seeing the world that i would never have gotten to do if maybe i did go to college or my dad was alive and he made me go to the military or something who fucking knows but i ended up in new york at 18 found this music and that was my college that was my beginning of my life in a sense you know yeah and when you're traveling the world you're meeting kids that were drawn to this music too for some reason and so it's like you don't have it's not like you're a tourist in some place bumming around till you meet like-minded people like you're going in yeah. you're meeting people that completely jive with you and are like welcome to my world so you're getting a complete immersion in a culture in a way that you could never get as a tourist or as like someone yeah. going there for business you're like in like in fucking italy in 91 they're taking you to like a a vegan spot or a fucking record store or something like holy shit or somebody's wearing an inside out shirt or something in italy like oh my god or i went with sick of it all in 1990 to south america it was crazy dude i was a vegetarian like starving but like enjoying all the, the people and people were sick of it all tattoos i'm like oh my god i never left anywhere this is crazy i'm living in queens with these dudes now i'm in south america it was it's just all that those life experiences man open your eyes to all these different cultures and See people sing your songs in different languages and fuck, man. What we're kind so of, lucky. We, I don't know. We're so lucky. What kind of shows were uh, Sick of It All playing in, in South America at that time? Were they opening? Oh, fucking huge. Big ass, big shows, man. I'll, try, I'll send you a photo. Like big shows in these big fucking empty fucking warehouse or whatever. Yeah, 91. That's awesome. 
like with hardcore crazy. bands or with metal bands or what hardcore kind of? bands uh something minority i forgot the name of this band they're pretty big over there something minority de Peros, rdp they play too they play oh, yeah met those dudes. awesome met those dudes um but i forgot this other band they were really i, I get their name they're really big they played all the shows with us Coliera? what Coliera? maybe something maybe? minorities something okay. i'll, I'll look get it up. you you probably, you probably find them um <laughs> i'll find out the name but yeah i just seen other hardcore bands in different languages like we didn't we didn't have that man it was that and then going to japan for the first time i was like bro i'm i'm not i'm gonna wear a, i'm gonna wear a mask i'm gonna, not gonna lock my bike up like no graffiti on the trains people like bowing before they stage dive nobody talking in between your songs like bringing you presents like the respect the love the appreciation it was just a different world man like back then just i don't know it was just all that like that's my life experiences that's what hardcore didn't change my life that's my education that's my college that's all that stuff that um yeah i'm just to got me where i am now talking to you man it's fucking very lucky it's all my whole fucking wall all my all my music i love inspirations and well yeah know, like your room yeah no no and exactly like well like you wrote that list of bands in my sketchbook way back when yeah. it's like that shit that i still see on your wall behind you you know the yeah, you're ready in my book right like so yeah, yeah. You know? um i was gonna like was that first tour in japan with the cokehead hipsters that was one of them i don't know if that was the first one because that's 98 so you must have gone before that oh before yeah dude yeah that's what they showed we did earlier that i forgot what it was um i think it was just us man i'm not sure we played some shows with the bands yeah cokehead hipsters they were they were cool um but yeah going there with japan was the first time i was sick of it all that was crazy man yeah no i love that's my favorite place to play I just do man. It. I want to go back to so bad. I've been there in years, man. Same. Same. It's so beautiful. This the energy, everything about it is just yeah. It's the only place I've been where I'm like, I would be a better person if I lived here. I would be healthier mm -hmm. and I would be more together if I was here. Yeah. And yeah, just people are so I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know if living there would be different than just visiting there for like a week or so, but just when you're there, it's just just this. I don't know. I feel like a lot of love and energy in the city and just everybody's respectful and i don't know man most of the bands you guys played over there uh when you went over there was it mainly like kind of new york hardcore style bands or were you playing with more traditional japanese style hardcore bands we had some uh traditional ones probably not gonna remember the names but then you got ones that like sound like madball or sick of it all mm -hmm. you know what i mean they got the ones that are like the new york hardcore inspired ones yeah but yeah definitely coke and hipsters it was some other ones too i forgot their name we play with there was like a youth crew one. This guy, face Mitch of change, Taylor. probably. Yes, face of yes. Yes. The guy bleached hair in the singer. Yes, dude. We yeah. played with them. They they put out a record on Lost and Found, so they even did what all the youth crew bands did and had the record wow. on Lost and Found. Face of change, yeah. They played with some of this little island we flew out to. They were cool, and then this guy Mitch Stratus we knew from out there. He was like, he knew about all this everything. He collected all records and stuff, and had all the original shirts. Um, yeah, you just it's yeah, face of change. That's right. They were they were really good actually. Played with them a couple of times. Well, Toby, anytime you want to come back on this podcast and talk about punk, I could talk hard. to you for hours, bro. Dude, anytime you want to come here, man. Uh, thank you, man. Thank you, for, and also thank you for being cool to me back in the day when I was just like a little Punisher. You know, like I gotta say, like <laughs> I think part of the reason I related to Chris Gethard so much is because like when I met you too, like it was you know you're one of the few people like that was actually legitimately cool to a young punisher kid so thank you thank you man thank you i, I, I i'm sure i had people 
did the same thing to me growing up. So yeah, I fucking appreciate you too. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry it took so long, but now I want to do a part two with you for sure. Thank you, Toby, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Toby will be back for part two at some point in the near future. Uh, We talked about it off air, hopefully with Moon. I think Moon's going to come on for the part two because, my gosh, Moon has got some amazing stories. That was so much fun to get to catch up with both of them. Uh, And that is it for uh, this week's show. Speaking of things that are going to be happening in the future, uh, in the next episode of this show, Jeff Tweedy will be here. That's right, from Wilco, from Golden Smog, from from books. There's a restaurant named after one of his songs here in Toronto. There was a restaurant named after one of his songs here in Toronto. The guy's a legend. And next week, we break down St. Louis punk rock history here on the show. There is a lot of interesting stuff discussed and... I'm very excited for you to hear this. I've been wanting to do this thing for a long time and hear it finally. Well, that's it for uh, this week's show. I'm having a bit of a hard time right now. Uh, I don't know how many of you hang around to hear this part of the show, but this has not been a good few weeks for me mentally. Um, but we're going to get through it. It just, uh, this this thing takes a lot of time to do. And I really think I might be trying to scale back episodes in the future and, you know, kind of reassess what we're going to do come episode 400. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's been a long week and a long night. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids. We need to help trans people protect themselves. We need to stop hate and violence towards Asian people and people of different faiths because this this shit's not political. This is just human rights issues. People deserve to live and be as free as they can. So get involved. If there's organizations doing work you believe in or a way you can lend your support, you know, if you have the money financially or, or with your time and effort. Uh, we support people's rights to choose what they do with the reproductive systems. I think that's pretty basic stuff. Uh, go there and make your own culture because anyone can do this stuff. It takes time. Definitely don't get it fooled. It takes a lot of time. A whole lot of precious time. It's going to take plenty of time to do it right, child. Uh, but it, it is worth it. It can help you mentally. It can also crush you mentally, but it can help you mentally too. Which leads me to the next point. Try meditation. I'm going to try it now. And try and just kind of calm everything down. It helps calm everything down. I didn't believe it would, but it does. Maybe maybe try it. Who knows? Maybe it won't work for you. But maybe it will. I think that's it. Uh, sign your organ donor cards. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Hope you're good. <laughs>